0: Thank you, Pastor Mike and the praise team. Looking forward to jumping back into Daniel. You can open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to try to cover the whole chapter today. So we've got a lot to read, a lot to try to cover. Um, Probably won't be able to talk about every single verse, but we'll get the the whole story. We've been doing a series on Daniel for any visitors here. Uh, We're uh, taking our time going through it, but this is going to be a long section. Uh, Really what we've used as our theme is that God has got the whole world in his hands. God has the whole world. Just like the children's song, uh, God has the whole world in his hands. That he is in control. And really the question I think we have here in chapter 3, we're going to be looking at Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is do you trust him? God has the whole world in his hands, but do you trust him? And I think that's what we're going to see from these three who come out as good, shining examples. Uh, Do you trust the Lord? Trust in the Lord who rescues us. Maybe you've heard the, the phrase, I'm sure everyone's heard the phrase, in God we trust, right? In God we trust is the official motto of the United States. Did you know that? It's actually the official motto of the United States. Uh, when do you think it was adopted? You can just guess. Maybe in your head or you can yell out if you want. 1776? 1957. 1957. Is when it was adopted And 1957 is when it was first printed So absolutely Lou It replaced the motto of E Pluribus Unum Out of the many well, One we have In God We Trust Adopted uh, when the great seal of the United States Was created um, in 1782 E Pluribus Unum uh, In God We Trust first appeared Actually in 1864 on money though On the two cent piece and I didn't, know, I didn't even know we had a two-cent piece. But if you have a two-cent piece that says "In God We Trust," I'm going to guess it's worth more than two cents. But I never even heard of it. Uh, but it began really appearing on paper currency in 1957. And you're wondering, wow, it's kind of a relic of the past that has still survived all this time. It did go to; it has been gone to court a number of different times. Uh, it was brought up in a case in 2004 against the Pledge of Allegiance. And I think this was interesting because this is was the defense used by those who thought. We should, it should remain our motto and should remain on our money. They said this, these acts of ceremonial deism are protected from establishment clause scrutiny chiefly because they have lost through rote repetition any significant religious content. I thought how sad that the argument, even the argument for keeping them was, well, they've lost any, any religious significance And they really just represent a ceremonial deism. And I hope that when we say that we trust in the Lord, that it isn't just a slogan. It isn't just a rote phrase that we use. That we as Christians are speaking about a lifestyle. A lifestyle of trust, of faith, of belief in God. One of my favorite verses is from Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Actually, my brother Kevin tweeted that out this week, and that was coincidental. I didn't even know you were going to do that. But uh, definitely, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, trust is something, I think, that is typically earned. You don't just trust somebody in general. Uh, you wouldn't walk up to a, a complete stranger and say, here, hold my baby, right? That's typically not what you do, and you certainly wouldn't do it for someone who, is not, who has a history of being untrustworthy. You know, there's a history perhaps of of abuse. You wouldn't hand your your kids over to them. You wouldn't hand your, your car keys over to a car thief, right? Somebody has to earn trust. Well, with God, we see one who has earned our trust again and again throughout the ages. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we're studying Daniel. Is we're learning about the character of the God of Israel who is our God. Who has been trustworthy towards his people. Faithful to his people. Generation after generation after generation, trust in the Lord who rescues us. Look with me. Daniel chapter 3, we'll have it on the screen. Um, and we'll also have it, uh, you can open up your Bibles. It's also in there in your bulletin. But because it's a long passage, it's a pretty small font. So if you can read it, go ahead and feel free to do that. Uh, but we'll have it uh, on the screen as well. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth, 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura. ...in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials. There's a lot of lists in this chapter. All the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that king Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and the herald proclaimed aloud you are commanded o peoples nations and languages that when you hear the sound of the horn pipe lyre trigon harp bagpipe and every kind of music you are to fall down and worship the golden image that king Nebuchadnezzar has set up and whoever does not fall down And worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so... And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. In the province of Babylon. Friends, I think if if you're just listening to that, I don't even need to preach. I think you've heard the whole story, but we will preach still this morning about trusting in the Lord who rescues us. There's an an outline in your bulletin as well. Uh, We're looking at four points this morning that opportunities to trust God are everywhere. Uh, Verses 1 through 12. Trust in the Lord in times of great difficulty. Uh, A third, God will rescue and deliver those who trust in Him, and the witness of trust. Is powerful and effective at the end So looking at verses 1 through 12 Opportunities to trust God are everywhere Are everywhere And an opportunity arises for Daniel's three friends To trust God Nebuchadnezzar makes a huge golden idol And if you were here last week You might make a connection here Do you remember the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had That Daniel interpreted And he said the head of the huge statue that he dreamed of Is the head of gold And that's you, Nebuchadnezzar so here's Nebuchadnezzar taking that and then perhaps making a huge golden idol of himself for the people to worship. So he took the dream in the worst way possible. Rather than letting him, uh, let it, seeing the sovereign hand of God, he sees it as an opportunity to raise up himself. And he makes it so that all the leaders, when they hear the sound of the music, I'm not going to repeat that list again. But all those different instruments, they're to do what? They're to come, dedicate themselves to the statue, bow down, and to worship it. And whether that's to worship some god that this statue is, or whether that statue is Nebuchadnezzar himself, uh, it doesn't really matter. Either way, it's paying homage to the king. And it's supposed to bring all the people together in the worship of one deity, namely Nebuchadnezzar himself. If you don't, Nebuchadnezzar always does things in the extremes. What happens? You're thrown into a fiery furnace, and you die. (laughs) Now, for most people in the kingdom, this is a no-brainer. <laughs> show up where you're supposed to show up, bow down to the statue, and go home. It's that simple, right? You don't even have to really care in your heart or your mind. Or Just go there, bow down, go home, and live your life. But these three know that they can't do that. They, their first two commandments are very clear. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a graven image of anything in heaven and so forth. So they know they can't do that. They don't show up. And the Chaldeans see this as an opportunity here. Uh, Here's an opportunity to take care of these three who are, remember, rising. They're shooting stars in this world of the Chaldeans. They're rising up faster than everybody else. Here's an opportunity to use a little bit of their jealousy and to tear them down. In fact, they kind of stretch the truth a little bit, if you notice, which is not surprising. They say that these men Pay no attention to you Which is not true at all These men want to submit to the king In any way in which they can But they certainly can't bow down To an image To an idol They don't serve your God They don't bow down Now one question you might ask is Where is Daniel? Where is Daniel in all this? Uh, well, maybe Daniel was too high up, so these others... Remember, he's already been raised up because of the dream. So maybe the other Chaldean says, don't go after Daniel. <laughs> That's not good for us. He's, he's got too much power. Maybe he is away on a trip, and therefore he doesn't have to show up. Uh, the point is simply that each of us have our own opportunity to be faithful to God. Daniel already had his, and he'll have more. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's turn. What will they do in this situation? It's interesting that, that right here we see persecution as a form of a spiritual attack upon God's people. We've already seen the opposite of that, right? Not persecution, but comfort. <laughs> Here are all the, the riches of Babylon. Here's, uh, here's all the food you could eat. All the pleasures of the greatest kingdom on the planet. The comfort of the palace. Lull them into compromise and into sin. Well, that didn't work for Satan. For the devil. So what does he do? Let's try persecution. We'll try the opposite. We'll threaten you. We'll attack you. We'll harm you. Into disobedience. and Into lack of faithfulness. The devil has no problem using either one. Sometimes comfort. Sometimes pain. In fact friends. We see by the way. The persecuted church. Around the world. In which this very thing is happening. And you know. We do in one sense say. Yes persecution is good for the church. Because it makes sure that people are faithful to the Lord. It gets rid of sort of. lukewarm Christians and so forth. But understand, friends, that persecution also at times stamps the church right out of an area. Yes, it's true, friends, that the church in the United States, this is not really a big deal. My guess is that nobody's threatening to throw you into a fiery furnace. But understand, around the world and throughout history, that is not the case. In fact, this very same threat has been used again and again. One of my favorite historical examples would be Cranmer. There were three great reformers in the the English Reformation. Ridley, Latimer, and Cranmer. And Ridley and Latimer refused to denounce Christ and were burnt at the stake. Cranmer, on the other hand, probably the most well-known one, did renounce Christ. And one day, six months later, at a pulpit, he opened with prayer and an exhortation to obey the king and the queen. But he ended his sermon totally unexpectedly. Deviating from his prepared script, he renounced his rank recantation that he had written and signed with his own hands. He was pulled from the pulpit, taken to where Latimer and Ridley had been burnt six months before. And as the flames drew around him, he fulfilled his promise. He put out his his right hand into the fire first and he said, burn this hand first. Because this is the hand that denied my Savior his dying words were, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I see the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And it's not just historically, friends, around the world. We see this all the time. Um, You see, folks, in this very uh, example of being burnt alive, I'll give you one example. This is from NBC News. So this isn't some uh, uh, ultra-conservative Christian newspaper. NBC News said, Sajid... Messiah, 27, and his wife, Shama, 24, uh, they were both Christians in Pakistan, were set upon by at least 1,200 people after rumors circulated that they had burnt verses from the Quran. It's a common um, false accusation that's used to get rid of Christians at times, that they secretly burnt the Quran. Almost certainly not true. Uh, family spokesman told NBC News their legs were also broken so they couldn't run away. And this is this quote, they picked them up by their arms and legs, held them over the brick furnace until their clothes caught fire and they were thrown, they threw themselves in, uh, they were thrown into the furnace. I'm not trying to uh, scare anyone here, but just to realize that, friends, yes, we get to live in a very unique situation here in the United States where this type of threat is not often used. So it's also important for us to remember that, that we are the exception, not the rule. But the, friends, the principle still applies to us as well. Be ready to trust God when times arise. And they will. Like you said we're probably not faced with a giant gold statue to bow down. Actually, they built a huge gold statue in China to Mao Zedong. 120 feet tall. This is a 90 foot tall statue here of Nebuchadnezzar. 9 feet wide, 90 feet tall. So this one of Mao Zedong was even bigger. But they eventually actually did tear it down as the people rejected it. But friends, uh, nevertheless, idolatry is still an issue. Idolatry is when you put anything in the place of God. You're tempted to put anything in the place of God. You're tempted to give in to sin. You're tempted to not trust God. We see that all the time. You see it daily even, friends. When you wake up and read the scriptures. Or not. If that's something you've committed to. Are you going to be patient with your wife and patient with your kids when you go home this afternoon? Or not. You're going to watch that TV show that you know is a bit of a stumbling block for you. Watch that movie. You're going to be faithful with the resources, with the finances that God has given you. I think one of the things I love about tithing is that tithing is an opportunity to trust God. (laughs) Right? Because that's one area where we often say, well, in that area I'm not so sure I want to trust God. Because there won't be enough at the end of the month and so forth. It's a great opportunity to say, no, I put my trust in the Lord. Will you speak up for Jesus or will you be silent? Friends, again and again, daily, we're confronted with opportunities to be faithful or not. And what if we fail? What if we fail to be faithful to God? Well, then we have now have a new opportunity to trust God. To trust Him for forgiveness. To trust Him for the gift of repentance and turn from Him. See, when we sin, it's easier to, to commit the next sin. Right? We commit One sin Okay I've already sinned that, that way I might as well go to the next one And the next one And the next one And go deeper and deeper Into sin It's kind of like uh, Not to pick on politicians But one lie covers up another lie And then you need another lie And another lie And another Well I've already lied so many times I might as well keep at it No to be faithful is when we sin And when we fail To then turn back To Him I like what C.S. Lewis said He said we all want progress But progress means getting nearer To the place where you want to be and if you've taken a wrong turn, turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn <laughs> and walking back to the right road. And in that, case, in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. There is nothing progressive about being pig-headed and refusing to admit a mistake, which is what we do. I've been unfaithful in this year, so I'm going to continue to go... Further in that area instead of recognizing Here is a new opportunity to trust God for grace And to turn in the right direction Let's look at 13 to 18 and what actually happens here Trust in the Lord in times of difficulty Trust in those Trust God in those times that he provides us Opportunities to trust Even the difficult ones Nebuchadnezzar hears about these three And he is filled with anger That somebody in his kingdom Would not obey what he has to say And he says to them, you will bow. He brings them before him, you will bow or else. And nobody, nobody can deliver you from my hand. I'm the most powerful man in the world. I am the destroyer of nations. Nobody goes against Nebuchadnezzar. He says, what God will save you from my hand? I love that. That's a challenge. He just threw down the gauntlet against God, right? (laughs) He just challenged God. What God will save you from my hand? And the three answer, I'll tell you what God... <laughs> I'll show you what God can answer you... can, can uh, accept this challenge. He says... They say, we have no need to answer you. Never answer you. God is able to deliver us. And He will deliver us. But even if He doesn't... Even if we die in the fire... We're still not going to bow down. <laughs> we're going to be faithful to our God... no matter what. We will not serve your gods. We will not worship your golden image. Our trust, our faith, our belief is in the one true God. But they recognize that God is the true king, not Nebuchadnezzar. That his furnace of judgment is far worse than anything Nebuchadnezzar could create. And that we are ultimately not in his hands, not in Nebuchadnezzar's hands. We are in God's hands. Friends, how do you trust God? Uh, how do you trust God? Well, first, there's a few things here. Uh, first, you've got to know His Word to trust God, right? Because uh, if you don't know what is good, then you can't actually choose what is good. So you've got to know His words. Uh, if you don't know, you can't trust Him. Uh, you can be sincerely wrong, right? So you want to know His Word, understand what God wants. But then secondly, pray, pray, pray. Pray, pray, pray. God is interested not just in the outcome of our faithfulness, but also the process of turning to Him in the midst of the situation, whatever difficulty we're facing looking to him for help and then third step out in faith just do what's right nobody chooses for you like for them they can choose death if they want nobody chooses for you you do what's right step out in faith and friends there'll be no regret I've said this in different sermons before but if I look back at my life I've never regretted choosing faithfulness I've regretted choosing to be unfaithful many many times but I've never looked back and said, man, I wish I had chosen to be unfaithful. <laughs> I wish I didn't choose to do what was right in the message. It never has happened to me. Because I'm not sure what you're going through in a congregation of our size. Everyone's going through all different things. Uh, God knows, you know, uh, it may seem right now better and easier to take the easy road. Bow and live. That's simple. Friends, choose to follow Him, to trust Him. If you're at a crossroads, I've been to crossroads, I remember different times. I remember one time when I finished college, got married and felt like the Lord was calling me to take a one-way trip to Chicago <laughs> to go to seminary. Didn't know anyone there. Didn't, uh, didn't have a job lined up there. I just wanted to go to seminary there. I got accepted in the seminary out there. Uh, didn't, didn't, know any, didn't have any relatives out there. Didn't have a church family out there. We got into, a one- we got into our, our little Honda Civic, 1992 Honda Civic, black, filled the back and the trunk and the top carrier with stuff. And we headed out one way, just the two of us. I don't know if I could do that today. Boy, that's, you know, I wish I could, but uh, that was the mentality that I trust the Lord, and the Lord provided again and again. And similarly, coming back here after seminary to Haverhill, having a baby during seminary. As I'm trying to go to school, Jess is trying to work full time, but feeling like the Lord has called us to do what we've called to do. Going on, on that first missions trip. Second mission trip is always easier, but doing that first one, if you've never been on one, to step out. In faith and trust the Lord. Friends, I just encourage you trust God through the valley. And He will bring you to the green pastures. You know, everyone's familiar with Psalm 23. Psalm 23. He leads me to green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, but he also carries us through the dark valleys. Why does a shepherd lead sheep through a dark valley? To bring them to the other green pastures. <laughs> When an area has been exhausted of green pastures, the shepherd leads them through a dark valley only to get them to the other side. If you're going through a dark valley, recognize that God probably has a green pasture on the other side in this life or in the next. Trust him. Ultimately, friends, we are not in the hands of any worldly king. We're in God's hands. And God will rescue us. 19 to 25. God will rescue and deliver those who trust in him. God will rescue those who trust him. Nebuchadnezzar is filled with more rage after hearing their response, as you can imagine. He orders that the furnace is turned up seven times as hot, which is an idiom. Not literally seven times, because that's impossible. Let's say the furnace was what, 500 degrees? He's not turning up to 3,500 degrees. It's an idiom to say, as hot as possible, turn that furnace up. And really, friends, folks have mentioned, I think Matthew Henry mentions that the furnace is almost a picture of his anger. It gets hotter and hotter. He's got a real anger, rage problem as he's frustrated and angry at these three for not doing what he says. In fact, the, the furnace is so hot that as they're bound and thrown in, what happens? His own men get killed. Think of the irony there that those who blindly trust in Nebuchadnezzar die and those who blindly trust in God live. In this situation, He binds the three, he throws them in. And as, you, as we've read, Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he sees not three, but four. And the fourth is like the son of the gods. All four of them are more unbound, walking, not hurt. Now, who is this fourth one in here? Well, from the text of Scripture itself, he, he really can't say. Because it doesn't tell you. Uh, some have said, this is an angel. Uh, others have said... That this is God manifesting himself in some theophany. And others, of course, say that this is Jesus. I go with the third one. Uh, I think this is Jesus. I think that we see here a prefiguration of Christ with his people in the midst of the fire. Recognize, friends, that God always delivers us. He always delivers us. Here is a, is in this sense here, we see a very tangible, miraculous Rescue. And I think they knew it, because they said, God will deliver us from the fire, but even if we didn't. So they had a sense that God was going to miraculously rescue them here. But God, at times, does this very thing. He miraculously rescues his people. So let's not skip over this. Let's recognize that. Uh, Dennis talked about this last week. Uh, I loved his story about he's sitting there on the table in excruciating pain, more pain than he can handle. And he cries out to God at at the hospital. He cries out to God, Jesus, I need your help. You know I need your help right here and the pain disappears right he turns to the anesthesiologist and says wow whatever you do it felt good and what did the anesthesiologist say back in return I haven't done anything yet (laughs) so God miraculously steps in or I think of what Lou described where the third pipe bomb doesn't blow up where the very Gideons are praying God at times does do this very thing other times it's not so miraculous it's not so stunning but it's very real That he provides in his way and time. He protects us. He gives us a strength to get through something. He gives us a focus, a hope to endure as we trust him. Notice even here, friends, that he doesn't rescue them from the fire, does he? He rescues them through the fire. In the midst of it. He doesn't extinguish the fire. But he's with them in the midst of it. Sometimes his rescue, friends, is not in this life. Even as he says here, even if we die. I understand that nobody lives forever. Every, every great Christian hero in history, every great Bible figure we read about, every one of them eventually died. Does that mean that God somehow failed them in the end? Of course not. <laughs> it means that his ultimate rescue is not in this life, but in eternity. And friends, that is a greater rescue than anything in this world, anyway. And that's the greatest rescue possible. There's a little, there's a little scene in the movie Gladiator that I love. It's in the very beginning. Uh, it's a violent movie. So don't show it to your kids if you've never seen Gladiator with Russell Crowe. But in the end, in the beginning, he's trying to encourage his army. And he says, I want you to ride into battle and give it all you got. And if you find yourself, as you're riding and you're battling and you're fighting, you find yourself in green pastures <laughs> filled with lush fields, don't worry. Because you are now in Elysium. And Elysium is the ancient Roman view of of heaven. And I'd say the same for us, friends. Faithfully serve the Lord. Continue to trust Him. To follow Him. And eventually, friends, you will find yourself in heaven. Sometimes the rescue is not in this life. Nobody lives forever. Watch for God's rescue. Have the eyes to see it. When you trust Him, look for it. Expect it. God said he will rescue his people who trust in him. So look for it and trust him in it. Okay, God, now I see your plan. I needed to get away from Haverhill and get to Chicago for a while. Or I needed to wait and upon you. I needed to, to dig down in long term ministry. These, these are mine, by the way. Uh, I needed to dig down and stay put for a long time in ministering to God's people. God, God is far more patient. And far more interested in our sanctification than our success. He's more interested in the how of how we handle trust in him than the ultimate outcome. 26 to 30. That the witness of trust is powerful and effective. It's powerful and effective. Nebuchadnezzar responds to this trust in the Lord with awe. Uh, absolute awe he calls them out and he allows all of the leaders that he mentioned those big lists of leaders he allows them to see what has just happened come and see that not a hair has been singed not a cloak has been burned and there's not even the smell of smoke on these men you know I go out there and grill a few hot dogs and burgers and I smell like smoke (laughs) these guys were just in a furnace and they don't even have the smell of smoke and even Nebuchadnezzar says blessed be God of these three, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. He does refer to the fourth as an angel. Uh, angel just means a messenger. So if you, if you go with the angel view of the fourth one, uh, certainly there is, a, that's how Nebuchadnezzar sees it. But keep in mind, I don't think we want to take our theological cues from this pagan king. So I still think it's Jesus, even though he refers to it as an angel. They trusted in him, and they daren't decide from my own command. And then what does he do? He finally makes a decree that all people, All nations, all languages are no longer allowed to speak against the God of these three who rescues. And he promotes them just as he did Daniel. Notice, friends, their their trust in the Lord has worked as a powerful witness. Now, they didn't do it to show off. Remember, the the Chaldeans had to go hunt them down. They just said, quietly, we're not going to show up and worship the statue. But nevertheless, God uses it as a witness. Everyone gets to see it, all the leaders of the province, even the king himself is affected by it. And all of Babylon has heard the news of those who trusted God in the midst of the fire.
1: Makes a decree for
0: all the nations, all those affected in the whole of the kingdom, that God's name is now recognized, feared, and revered throughout the world. Friends, when we trust God, people take note. When we trust God, people take note. See, talk will only get you so far. I believe in you, God. I love you, God. You're, you're wonderful. And, but are we willing to actually now put it into practice, to actually trust God when it hurts, when there's a real decision to be made, when our lives are deeply affected by it? People see it. People take note of it. They see this rescue, and then they do what they want with it. Our job is to witness, well, they can either believe or not. Friends, of course, we want to see our church filled with people. Uh, We should want that, by the way. Uh, We should want to reach our neighbors. We should want them to come into a saving knowledge of Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, friends, if you live a life that trusts God, people will notice that. (laughs) People will notice that. At the very least, you'll be a spectacle for people to look at and say, that guy is strange or that lady is weird. She trusts the Lord. He trusts the Lord. Trust in the Lord who rescues us. God gives us plenty of opportunities. We're called to trust him. He will rescue us in this life or the next. And we see to its witness to the world. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. The ultimate trust, of course, is to trust in the Lord for salvation. Anyone here doesn't know Jesus as their savior, I just want to give you a briefly that we are sinners, that we're cut off from God. And that's true of all of us. Uh, th- there's nobody in this room, there's nobody in this city, there's nobody in this world, okay? who de- on who, their own righteousness has a, a perfect standing before God. We all need a Savior. Christ has come as that Savior. He calls us to put our trust in Him, to look to Him as the Lord, to look to Him as the Redeemer. And right, I want to show you a video. This is from the Gideon, so we've got a nice wraparound from uh, Lou's t- uh, 10-minute presentation of folks who are at a crossroads. And what do they do at that crossroads? One, God puts a nice Bible in their hands from the Gideons, uh, but they choose to trust in the Lord.